0: Uh, that presents a little bit of a challenge in reality uh, because I know you forgot everything that I ever said and uh, about John and the gospel of John and where we left off. So it's hard to springboard and go from one to another when there's four weeks or such that's in between them. And so uh, I'm going to just do to my best of my ability. I can't go back and rehash really. Uh, We just got to go forward. Uh, Thank goodness you got Uh, things that are saved online and podcasts and other venues. You can go back and say, well, I don't quite remember. Well, that's what those things are there for in part. So John chapter number 7, and I'm going to begin reading with verse number 1 of John 7. The Bible says, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in jewelry. That's not jewelry, but jewelry, all right, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth any thing in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, shew thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said, He is a good man. And others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. For a little while here this evening, on this Sunday night Bible study, I'd like to talk to us about a stranger among us. A stranger among us. And I am going to pray again. Hallelujah. Lord, I love you tonight. God, I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, because there is nobody like you. There's no God like my God, and I love you, Jesus, with my heart and my soul and my strength. I pray, O oh God, that you are able to help us, the Lord Jesus, in this Bible study tonight. Let that living word arise off the page and walk into our individual lives. I pray, O oh God, strengthen us by it, encourage us by it, and will not fail to thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen. God bless you this evening. A stranger among us, according to the gospel of john much of what jesus has done up until this point of time in the way of miracles that we have studied thus far in the gospel of john the predominantly most of them have been in and around the area of galilee or the sea of galilee capernaum and galilee and other towns that encircled around the sea of galilee however here in john chapter number seven the feast of tabernacles uh, was at hand the bible said And this feast would obligate every male that lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem to show up at this festival. It was one among three festivals, according to the Old Testament law, that uh, all males were to appear before the Lord tabernacles and Passover and Pentecost, all of them obligated uh, the people that if they were within that 15 mile range or distance of Jerusalem that they should purposefully make their way uh, to Jerusalem for these feasts and festivals. That did not exclude people that was beyond 15 miles. If those that were beyond 15 miles wanted to come, of course, the door was open unto them as well. But John 5, if you'll remember back that far, and it's been a long time, back in John 5, it records or recorded another trip that Jesus had made to Jerusalem remember most of his miracles and things that he has done thus far in John have been in Galilee not Jerusalem and so he's headed to uh, the Feast of Tabernacles which is in Jerusalem and he has been in Jerusalem before and actually performed a miracle in Jerusalem that the people no doubt remember At least that is the presumption of the Lord because John 5 records that trip where the Lord had made to Jerusalem because of a feast going on at that time as well. And it was in that mode that the Lord healed the man that was at the pool of Bethesda that had had an infirmity for 38 years. But more more specifically, he healed that man on the Sabbath day, if you will remember. The Bible says in John 5 and verse 18, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, speaking of Jesus, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, meaning he had healed this man that had a 38 year old infirmity on the Sabbath day, but also, but said also that God was his father and if you'll remember that kind of goes different than what all the other Jews would say they would say God our father but he said my father he made it very personal and so they said as a result of doing this he was making himself equal with God and so there were a couple of things then that did not settle too well with the Jews in Jerusalem as a result of this two things mainly number one he healed somebody on the Sabbath day and number two because of what he said they believed he was making himself equal with God that did not settle too well with the Jews at Jerusalem so much so that the Bible tells us even very plainly back in chapter number five that they sought the more to kill him as a result of these things and so if the last memory you had of someone was them per se breaking the law and making themselves equal to God. uh, What type of acceptance do you think that same person will have when they show back up in Dodge, all right, back in Jerusalem? The last memory that the Jews have of him is this. And so yet here he is, Jesus, approaching yet another feast, going back, if you will, to Jerusalem, where people's looking for him to kill him. Amen. That doesn't make you want to go home for Christmas, if you understand what I'm saying. And so... All of these events of the miracle that happened in John 5 is really a background uh, to Jesus in John 7 being somewhat cautious about going to this festival. Not saying he's not going to go, but he's going with caution because people are seeking To kill him and so everything of John 5 and what happened there serves as a background then for John chapter number 7 Because when he last saw these Jews at Jerusalem They were wanting to kill him and so the Lord presumes that their desires have not changed It's no different They are probably still wanting to kill him and we find out very quickly in John chapter number 7 his assumption is true They do desire still to kill him and so there are a few fronts few issues that Jesus is dealing with as we begin in John chapter number seven and we have ended John chapter number six. And that is not only are the Jews desiring to kill him, but he is already contended with in the closing of the last chapter of some of his disciples walking away from him. So there's people, the Jews, the the, the religious elite really that are seeking to kill him and people that had been followers of him. Have decided to turn away they have decided to leave him and no longer follow him if you will they have disengaged from the Lord they have disengaged they they believe him not the Bible says in John 6 verse 66 That's 666 if you're wanting to look at it amen from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him the Lord's under a heavy load right now folks Uh, people seeking to kill him disciples that were called followers which is what a disciple is a pupil of the Lord a follower of the Lord turning their back on him and as a result of that in the close of chapter 6 he even questioned the 12 that that innermost core if about their commitment to him if if they were even thinking or pondering about leaving him because He tells them that there's one among them that's even going to betray him. He kind of finishes up chapter 6, talking about Judas Iscariot, how one of them is even going to betray him. And so all these things are happening, even for us then to come to verse number 5 of chapter 7. And it gets a little closer to home where the Scripture tells us that Jesus' own brethren, I'm talking about his family, his half-brothers, all right? Jesus wasn't the only child. He was the only child by immaculate conception, but he had some half brothers and his half brothers. The Bible says plainly in verse five did not believe in him. I'm telling you right. They didn't believe in him. We we have some of the writings like in James, right? Some of the other ones that were half brothers of the Lord that we have after the fact, but before resurrection, Before all the things that happened of death, burial, and resurrection, they didn't believe him. They didn't believe him to be the Messiah. Sure, they may have accepted his his miracles on a surface type of, 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 of level, but they didn't really believe him. The Amplified says it like this. It says, for even his brothers did not believe in or adhere to or trust in or rely on him either and so you got the elite wanting to kill you you have disciples forsaken in you and you have your own family that doesn't believe in you I mean I understand Jesus is God robed in flesh right I understand that Jesus deity was cloaked in humanity I understand that but you must understand that it was only the last three and a half years of his life that he had a public ministry it's so only the last three and a half years of his life that he spent those ever waking hours as it were with his 12 disciples in all these different locations and a great portion of, of the miracles and the signs and the wonders took place in his life. What that means is, is from birth to 30 years he shared the same space by and large with his family for about 30 years he shared the same space by and yards with his family and rubbed shoulders with them for about 30 years before he ever began his public ministry uh, that is so well known that we read of in the gospels and so, on one level, we look at it. Granted, yeah, some of his disciples walked away. And granted, yes, that 12 of his disciples that, that spent three and a half years with, with him and he spent his life with them, they had their moments, of course, that we see in Scripture of, of doubts and wondering and, and some denying him and others betraying him. But his family? I mean, the 12 just had three and a half years. But his family has had all this time leading up to his public ministry. And those 30 years, they had the exposure. Think with me for a moment. Those 30 years, they had the exposure to the Lord Jesus Christ. They had the exposure to God manifested in the flesh in their home, both in the public realm and in the private sector. their life they had all this exposure and so my mind says this if anybody ought to have known him Mm. if anybody ought to have known him they should have known jesus because jesus's brothers sharing that space in that time they had the best opportunity They had the best opportunity to acquaint themselves with who this this child is that's born from the same womb that we were born from, yet has a different daddy. They had the best opportunity, yet the Bible again plainly tells us in verse 5, they did not know him. As the Amplified says, they didn't trust in him or adhere to him or rely on him. I said all that to say this tonight. Uh, Folks, I pray that as a church member that I do not fall prey to the same tragedy of having been afforded the best opportunity but having the worst follow through on knowing him. I don't want to have had years of exposure In an apostolic church. To the presence of God. The power of God. The miracles of God. Both in the public life. And in my private life. And yet never believe in him. And truly trust in him. And adhere to him. And rely upon Him. I don't want to, if I could say it like this, I don't want to have lived with the Lord and not lived for the Lord. I I, I don't want to have this awesome privilege and then somehow it just all become distantly mechanical and routine. You know what he said in the New Testament Scripture to those of, uh, of some of the cities that Jesus oft times frequented? He said unto them, he said, the queen of the south is going to stand up in judgment. He said, with you all. He said, the queen of the south. What is he saying? He said, the queen of Sheba is going to stand up in judgment with you all. What's he saying? He's saying, you've all had a much better opportunity. Than what the queen of Sheba had. His spirit is in the earth. You have a greater, greater opportunity. He said, but you're going to stand in line with judgment with her. Because having lesser of opportunity, she's going to know him more. What are you saying, folks? I'm saying there could very well be people that's going to stand in judgment with us someday. That will have had a lesser per se seemly chance or exposure than what you have had to the presence of the Lord than what you have had to be enabled to rub shoulders with his presence in the divine, and yet they have going to have made all of their intent to know him and rely upon him and believe on him there's some people in third world countries right now that oh Jesus hallelujah hallelujah amen the bible psalms chapter 69 is depicted and and underscored as majorly a messianic psalm and what that means is there are a lot of psalms in the in the psalms there are a lot of psalms in the psalms that's really intelligent isn't it There are many psalms that are messianic psalms, which mean this. They are pointing beyond just a storyline of David or something else. They are pointing towards Christ. They're pointing toward the Messiah. And so Psalm 69 is one of those psalms, all right? It doesn't just... Pertain to the psalmist that is writing it, but it pertains to Christ. For that matter, there are many verses in the New Testament scripture that are quoted from Psalm 69, and many of these relate to Christ. As a matter of fact, many of the verses of Psalm 69, read it sometime, are even uh, 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 applied to, to the cross and things that took place on the cross. It's a messianic song, psalm, and so one of the many verses that are applicable is found in Psalm 69, in verse number 8 where the Bible says this I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children in other words through the pen of David being prophetic even for the Messiah he's saying this speaking of God of Christ that Christ is treated as a stranger would be treated that he he would be treated as someone that others would have no interest in or friendship with that they acted as though they were bound by no tie of family relationship to the lord He says, it was a stranger and an alien unto them. Folks, this begins to enlighten for me another verse from chapter one, which is a long, long time ago that we looked at. But you'll remember because it's a popular verse where the Bible speaks about Jesus coming that word that was in flesh coming to us and that he came to his own. And what does the Bible say? And his own received him not. And we so many times underscore, yeah, the Jewish people wasn't willing to receive the Lord. But I'm telling you that that goes beyond the scope of the Jewish people that goes to those of his own household huh they received him not. And so Jesus's brothers, they're, they're, they're talking to him in private. Yes, they had conversation here in John chapter number seven. They're talking to him in private, but we're got to wonder. I wonder if they would talk to him in public. Would they have any interest in him? Because according to the Messianic Psalm of Psalm 69, they, they were a stranger. They were act, acting toward him as though he was a stranger. They were acting toward him as though he was an alien. Amen, of his mother's children. Amen. In other words, this this is a strange God. This is, this is alien to us. Yet they had 30 years, 30 some odd, 33 and a half years of their life that they had intermingled and intertwined together. They had many times went to bed when he went to bed and ate at the same table that he had ate at. <laughs> Heard these same instructions from their mom that fell upon him, that fell upon all of them. Yet they say, we don't know him. I don't want the Lord to become strange to me or to me to act like he's a stranger or an alien, one that I have no tie or relationship with. I don't want it to be as though I have no friendship or interest in the Lord. I don't want to treat him as a stranger would be treated, as though I'll just turn my head and go the opposite direction because we don't have anything in common. Yeah, stranger among us. Hmm. John 7, verse 3 and 4. This is Jesus' half-brothers speaking to him. His brethren therefore said unto him, that's Jesus the hymn, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. Verse 4, For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, And he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, shew thyself to the world. Folks, Jesus couldn't be more more misunderstood by his own family than what we see right here. He is misunderstood by his own brothers. In some respects, they were quite clueless. They had the best opportunity. But they were quite clueless. Because Jesus had done works. Among his disciples and his disciples in many respects had seen things that he had done. But chapter six even tells us that there were some even of his disciples having seen the works of the Lord that were walking away from him. Although they seen his works. See, as the brothers is trying to make the plea, if you want to be known, if if, if you want to have, if you will, uh, the effect of the drawing of your disciples and the people, then go to Jerusalem, do some mighty work and see what happens. He's already been working. They have already witnessed it. And there are people that are walking away. Doesn't it seem a little ironic that they're saying, why don't you go expose yourself to the people and do a great work and they'll come and follow you when he's been living with them? Jesus, if you do this, then people people's really going to rally around you and you don't know me. And so what what Jesus is doing and where where the rub comes for the disciples is not that the Lord didn't do works among them because he did. It's what we talked about whenever we studied chapter six, our very last time. It is the spirit that quick enough that the Lord was inviting them more than just to a work. He was inviting them to surrender their lives to the Spirit. Surrender your life to the Spirit. Because let's back up for a moment. And this is my heart's belief. The proof of disciples or followers is at the word surrender. It's where they're asked to relinquish control. Forfeit the opinion. And just adopt that of the Master. I was listening here in the past couple of weeks. I was listening. I listened to preaching every once in a while. And I was listening. I do it a lot of times as I'm getting ready in the morning, combing my hair, brushing my teeth, the word of God going forth. Don't say hallelujah if I'm out full of toothpaste, though. I was listening to Pastor John Carroll. The other morning, he shared this verse from the book of Revelation saying it was one of his favorite Bible verses. Whenever someone says a Bible verse is one of their favorites, I'm like, I'm I'm interested in what it's about. And so it was in Revelation chapter 17 and verse number 14. He said, this is one of my favorite Bible verses. And this is the verse. These shall make war with the Lamb." Not too many people have favorite verses out of the book of Revelation, okay, just as a disclaimer. And he says, these shall make war with the lamb. And the these, of course, are uh, the spirit of, of Babylon, the beast, the ten kings that are represented by the ten horns. All these shall make war with the lamb. And the lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And note now, and they that are with him, that is with the Lord, that's doing war against these others, are called. Everybody say Called. And chosen, everybody say chosen, and faithful. Whew. See, the interesting thing about these who will be seen with the Lamb in that war against the spirit of Babylon, after rapture taken place, it's when the Lord's coming back to set up His kingdom. These that are with the Lamb, that are warring against those that are warring against the Lord, they're the called the chosen, and the faithful. That's not three individual groups of people. Those are three descriptions of one people. The Bible says, you can quote it, Sister Sheila, many are called, you finish it. But few are, good job. I wish I had something to give you. Many are called, but few are chosen. That statement is spoken of at the end of a parable found in the book of Matthew and also in Luke. That statement is said at the end of the parable of the wedding feast. See, because at the wedding feast, there was a calling and a choosing of people to the wedding feast. And the calling and the choosing was left up to the king. The faithful or faithfulness was left up to those who had been called and chosen. What are you saying? I'm saying in the parable of the wedding feast, the king has, has called these people. He has chosen these people to come to his feast. But the Bible says that these people would not come. In other words, they did not surrender. The Bible said that they they made light. The Bible says, and we'll read it here in a bit. The Bible says they made light of the king's bidding. In other words, they were careless about his bidding. They were neglectful about his invitation. They did not regard his invitation that he had. They made light of the king's bidding. And the Bible says, plainly, and would not come. Rather, the Bible says, one of them went his way to his farm. And another went his way to his merchandise. The Bible says in Matthew 22, this is the parable, verse 3 through 5. And sent forth his servants, this is the king sending forth his servants, to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden. looking now, he says, Behold, I have prepared. The king says, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed. He said, All things are ready. Come unto the marriage. The king says, I've made everything ready for the ones I've called, for the ones I've chosen. It's all ready. I prepared, verse 5, but they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm and another to his merchandise. Here is here is the, uh, the sorrow of heart of the king he made ready for who he called and he made ready and prepared all things for those that he chose only to realize that they that he had prepared more for them than what they had for him in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so i wouldn't have told you i go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye may be also. But when it's all said and done, it will be the called, the chosen, and the faithful. Hallelujah. I can't just stand here. Well, the Lord called me. You know what? He made a call to whosoever will. Oh, yeah, but the Lord chose me. That's great. But all of that is at the discretion of the king. There's another side to the seesaw. It's me being faithful it's me being faithful that lies upon my shoulders that lies upon paul mcgee i must be faithful he's made preparations i will say in this hour i believe all things are ready all things are ready and so those that are with the lamb in the book of Revelation are the called and the chosen. That's God part, God's part and the faithful. That's our part. That means, though, in the faithfulness, there has to be a surrender. Why? Because in order for those boys to be faithful at the feast, they would have to surrender farm and surrender the time of the merchandise in the moment to be faithful. We've not believed in the Lord. Remember, John, this whole context of belief is obeying him, committing to him, trusting in him, adhering to him. We've not believed the Lord unless we have obeyed, committed, trusted, adhered to, relied upon. What's that? That sounds like a whole bunch of surrender. Faithfulness. Disciples walked away. They walked away. There was a stranger in reality among them. They didn't even truly grasp who they had when they had him. Look at verse 4 a little bit further here. This is what his brothers say. They were saying it probably in the wrong manner, but they really had the right saying. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. Really, his family's words revealed the situation because Jesus didn't seek to be known publicly. He sought to be known by those who desired to know. Come on. Come on. That's the way he operated. Why did he? He said some parables sometimes, and he spoke in parables oftentimes, but those of then that lingered about to ask questions concerning the parable, what it meant. And then they receive knowledge and understanding. He says, I do all this because I know that only those that really want to know are going to ask the questions to get the understanding. Those that have the desire and hungry for it, they're going to stay around. They're they're going to stay around. And so he, he sought not to be known by the public. He wanted to be known by those who would truly want to know him. And here's the fact of the matter. We know that any glory that came to Jesus Christ as a man, he gave to the spirit that he denoted as his father. All glory goes to him. There's nothing that I can do except the spirit show me to the father. He wasn't there for publicity. Here in this great season of December, he came in Bethlehem's manger. Is he really wanting to be known in a public sense? He who was rich, the epistle says, became poor. He wanted the clout of notoriety. He'd much rather been born in the palace. But he was rich, became poor. Philippians says he made of himself no reputation. He's buried in a borrowed tomb. Huh? The glory that Jesus ever talks about is the glory that he actually had in his humiliation, which was death on a cross. And he said in John, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. What are you drawing all men to you with, Jesus? With my surrender? Mm. With, with He's a stranger among them. With my surrender. Look how the living Bible translates this. The the, the living Bible of verse 4. The brother saying, you can't be famous when you hide like this. Speaking to Jesus. If you're so great, prove it to the world. But again, he did not seek to be known openly going up to the feast of tabernacles he did not go up to the feast of tabernacles openly the Bible says it was though he was in secret for that matter the Bible says several of those that even spoke of him whether good or bad did not even speak of him openly and so Jesus is not going to the the, the feast of tabernacles to Jerusalem to show himself to the world by another miracle of some sort to fancy the eyes and the attention of the crowds of some sort no but he will Someday make another trip to Jerusalem that he'll set his face like a flint stone. Helabo Hoshiah. And he will make his way to Jerusalem and on the outskirts of its gates and on the outskirts of that city he will shew himself to the world and he did as the suffering servant at Golgotha. Amen. On Mount Calvary. And in that moment, Sister Sheila, he's not presenting himself as king. He's presenting himself as servant. And yet they still miss the message. He's a stranger among them. And he came as a servant. Acts 10 and verse 37. Look at this now. Peter is speaking. That word, Peter says, I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism, which John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth at the Holy Ghost and with power who Jesus went about doing good. We've been reading of it in John. Healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Peter says, And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Wait. What? Stop. So this, I, this word of God was published everywhere. Every nook, cranny, Galilee, Capernaum, Jerusalem, everywhere. He did good. He was healing, did signs, miracles, and wonders everywhere. Yes, Bethesda, Chorazin, all these places, yes. And yet the land of the Jews and even Jerusalem, these same people, a stranger among them, they slew and hung on a tree. And verse 40, And him God raised up the third day, I like this, and shewed him openly wait he didn't come for public recognition he didn't come for that but God says I'm going to raise you up I'm going to show you openly look at verse 41 this is vitally important not to all the people but unto witnesses chosen before of God even to us Peter says who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Amazingly, Christ was showing open. His brother said, Why don't you up Jerusalem? Just make yourself open to him. Oh, he said, no, 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 that's not my purpose. But it happens anyway by the Father's will. And whenever he was shown openly unto them, it was to them that were chosen by implication also called and who did eat and drink with him. In other words, the reality of their experience with the Lord and openly knowing the Lord is stressed by the note that they were people that, you know what, we're going to take some time to eat and drink with the master. He made himself known openly to those that took fellowship with him. Because in that context, he's not a stranger. He's not an alien. He was openly known by the called, the chosen, and the faithful. Those that desired to know him, spend time with him, fellowship with him, eat with him, he says, will be known of me, and I will be known of them. Don't allow him to be a stranger. Among you in the first apostolic church. Don't allow him to be a stranger. Among your home. It wasn't as we continue to read and I I don't have a timer up there, so I'm just, you know, doing it by the hip. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't going to go to the Feast of Tabernacles as he had this discussion with his brothers He just wasn't going to go when his brothers went. Jesus was going to go whenever it was his time to go. He felt like that there was a particular suitable season, suitable time for him to go up to Jerusalem. That was his words to his brothers. He says, it's not my time yet to go up to Jerusalem. There, there's a suitable time for me to go. And you think everything that's whirling around, there, there's people seeking to kill him. Disciples are walking away from him. You know, I want to find the right time to enter into Jerusalem. Although the population is going to be increased from everybody coming as a festival, there's a proper time. And so Jesus went to the feast, not only Openly, again, as verse 10 says, but in secret. And again, there are mixed emotions. Some people say, he's a good man. Others are saying he's a deceiver. And all these different things are going on. And so Jesus knew that there was going to be a suitable right time for him to show up. I mean, the Bible already tells us in verse 11 that the Jews are seeking him. And if they're seeking him for the same reason that they sought him in John chapter number five, it's not good. The reason for them seeking him. It's not a positive reason. And so there are a few verses in this chapter 7 that indicate, again, that they sought him because they desired to kill him. Although they try try to play it off, Jesus will tell them later that you desired to kill me. And they're like, what? Someone desires to kill you? Like, yeah, right. But Jesus told his brothers this. He says, I'm not going up right now. There's a particular time season suitable for me to go up. He says, but you go on. You go ahead. You go on up to Jerusalem, and this is really the words of the Lord. I'm paraphrasing here. You go on up to Jerusalem because it doesn't really make any difference what time you go to Jerusalem. He said, because the world, and note, it's not that the world wouldn't hate, but he says the world cannot hate. It's almost like he's almost framing an impossibility. here. The world cannot hate. You, John 7, 7, the world cannot hate you. He's speaking this to his brothers. He says, but me hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. In other words, Jesus is saying, I got to choose wisely whenever I go up to Jerusalem because people are seeking to kill me. For that matter, the world hates me because I stand for truth. The world hates me because I label works as they are. If they're evil, I label them evil. And they hate me as a result of that. He says, but you can go up. It will make no difference whenever you go up. Same household, same family. Expose your rubbed shoulders. He says, it will make no difference whenever you go up. He says, because the world can't hate you in many regards because you don't stand for anything. The world can't hate you Watch me closely, because you're just like the world. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, John 15, or, or in John 15, when he is speaking to some of his disciples, he says, if ye were of the world, he said the world would love his own. High priestly prayer is John 17. Amen. The world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, he says, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. He's talking to his disciples. But he said, if you were of the world, he said, the world would love his own. He says, but since you're not, he says, I've chosen you out and the world hates you. So the reason why that his brothers would not be hated by the world is because they were just like the world. And yet they had years of exposure. Years of exposure. They had the same mom. Same human mama, Mary. They had different daddies. Jesus had God as his father. But the other boys... Didn't kind of doing a little parallel shift right here. We call the church the mother. Could it be possible that we all sitting here tonight might have the same mama? That we might have allegiances to different daddies. Right here, brother McGee. Yeah, he just walks as a stranger among some of us. Oh, Brother McGee. Oh, two will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two will be in the field, the other will be taken, and one will be left. Two will be sharing the same bed, one will be taken, and one will be left. What? He need not be a stranger. Among you. If you'll stand with me here tonight. Holy God, Holy God, Holy God, Holy God, Holy God, Holy God, Holy God. He need not be a stranger among us tonight. He need not be a stranger among us tonight. God help me Lord to be the called and the chosen Lord there is a major responsibility upon my own personal shoulders to be the faithful I pray oh Lord tonight God we have had Lord the best of opportunities Lord We have had, Lord, the greatest of privileges, Lord Jesus, in this life. God, especially those of us, Lord, who have put our feet, Lord, across the threshold of this building. God, we have had the greatest of of opportunities and privileges. I pray, oh God, help us not fail Lord and our follow through Lord and just make you strange and alien unto us help us Lord to pull you in close help us oh Lord to desire you and hunger after you help us oh God to be willing to surrender farm merchandise etc etc Lord to engage in all things that you have prepared and all things that you have made ready I pray oh Lord today God let the power of your Holy Ghost So, Lord, bring conviction, God, upon our hearts and our minds today. In the name of Jesus, seal it, Lord, in our hearts, seal it in our souls, seal it in our spirits. I pray, O God, today and will not fail to thank you in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah.